Good morning, how we doing? Hey oh, now you're awake. <laughs> well, it's good to be gathered as the church. We're gonna start off our morning by singing a couple songs to uh, focus our hearts and minds and also celebrate Palm Sunday. This is the day we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entrance into Jerusalem the week before Easter, the week before his death and resurrection. So why don't we get on our feet and let's sing together. Here is our King, here is our love, here is our God who's come to bring us back to Him. He is the one, He is Jesus. He is our King, He is our love, He is our God who's come to bring us back to Him. He is the one, He is Jesus. Spring arise from wherever spring arise to heal the ground. From wherever searching comes to look itself, a trace of what we're looking for. So be quiet. is growing the tide is coming in here it is here is our king here is our love here is our God has come to bring us back to him he is the one he is Jesus he is our king It's growing, the tide is coming in, here it is, here is our King, here is our love, here is our God has come to bring us back to Him, He is the one, He is Jesus, He is our King. back to him 
Listen to these words from Mark 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Read this with me. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Christ Jesus, you came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You poured living water into lives that were parched and thirsty. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You fed souls that were hungry with the bread of life. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You brought healing through a touch that knew no prejudice or barrier. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You brought salvation through the cross. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.
have a seat. Amen. Praise God, church. Um, hey, I want to make you aware of um, some transitions going on here at First Church. Uh, many of us know and love um, Pastor Chris Spitters, um, our youth pastor and campus pastor at the Stevensville campus. Well, what, what, what we're doing is um, Pastor Chris is going to um, transfer from being the youth pastor at our church, and he's going to solely focus on being the campus pastor at the Stevensville campus. So with that transition comes us as First Church. We will be searching to fulfill um, the place that Chris has left in youth ministry here at First Church. So that's just something for you guys to know, that Pastor Chris is going to solely focus on the Stevensville um, campus ministry. Um, uh, a couple other announcements going on is um, uh, this week is Holy Week. And so Wednesday, we have a foot washing service right here at the St. Joe campus at 6 p.m. And I know what you're thinking. I'm not going to touch anybody's feet but my own. Uh, but this is an act of service that Jesus modeled for us. And we do it um, to one another as an act of serving each other. And then Friday, we have a Good Friday service here at the St. Joe campus at noon. A time to remember uh, the, the obedience um, and death of Jesus. Uh, good news is... Um, that the grave couldn't keep him, that Jesus rose from the dead, amen? And so we celebrate that next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. If you need um, more info on what campus and the times, 
you can go to our website, myfirstchurch.com, and all the info, all the campuses are there. Well, it's offering time, church. Um, Benton Heights, we celebrate offering at Benton Heights um, because we believe that God loves a cheerful giver. And um, and we're going to give cheerfully. And so as we um, invite the ushers down, I also want to remind you that today is um, a dollar club. We've been in a series called Satisfied, and so we've been talking about this dollar club. And what would it look like if we um, came together, all three campuses, and just with um, the $1 bills that go in the offering today, $1 bills, not $5 bills, not $10 bills, $1 bills that you can fold, go in the offering today. We're going to set them aside, and we're going to use them to do something good, to push back a little bit of darkness in our community. And we're going to film it, and we're going to show it next weekend. And we're going to see what our efforts together can do. Let us pray for the offering. Heavenly Father, we declare that you're good this morning. We thank you for loving us the way you do. And Father, we pray for this offering right now. God, we ask God that you'll sanctify it. Lord, that you'll set it apart. God, that you'll use it, Lord, for your kingdom, God. Lord, may you use this offering to push back the kingdom of darkness just a little bit more. Bless your people. Bless every household that's represented here. Whatever it is they lack, whatever it is they need from you, Lord, I pray, Lord, you'll pour out your spirit. Pour out your blessing. Thank you, Lord, for your church. Thank you for their faithfulness. Now may you continue to show your faithfulness in our lives. We love you. We give you all the praise. In Christ's name, amen.
our prayer that we would become more aware of your presence. We know that you're here with us because you're always with us. Help us to be aware of you. Help us to be open to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. I'd like to uh, welcome our uh, everyone uh, that's joining us by our internet campus. We're glad that uh, each of you guys are, are with us uh, by way of internet this morning. I also want to uh, just welcome the Benton Heights campus. They are doing some, uh, let's, uh, no, no, we are welcoming you, so all of you guys need to welcome them. So, uh, so let's welcome the Benton Heights campus. We're glad you guys are here. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, 
the Benton Heights campus are doing a few renovations and painting some things, getting ready for Easter, and so they've uh, come to join us today. And so I especially want to welcome Pastor Kevin and Jerrica with us uh, this morning. We're glad that you guys are here uh, with us, so we're just delighted uh, to have them. You don't often have a chance to see Jerrica, and so we're glad, Jerrica, that you're with us as well this morning. Uh, well, take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Uh, we've been in this series uh, called Satisfied, and uh, the, the, the kind of the subtext is discovering contentment in a world of consumption. And so in this culture that we live in where we're debt-ridden and uh, uh, consumption-minded and uh, this, the struggle with you know, getting a bigger and bigger, bigger pile of stuff, how can we in the culture that we live in find contentment? How can we find the satisfied life? And so we've been learning over the last few weeks uh, about contentment, about how to live the satisfied life, that contentment is to be found not when uh, we have a bunch of stuff, but, but it can be found in the here and now. It doesn't even matter what, uh, what, what's going on in our material, wor- material world. We can have and find contentment where we are. We can find uh, full joy and deep peace no matter what is going on in the here and now even when we don't have all that we want, we can find contentment. And so we've, we've talked about living in the school of contentment. We've talked about what that looks like. We talked about uh, one week about comparison and how comparison is the great enemy of the contented life. That, uh, and we told the story, if you remember, those of you who are here, uh, uh, you remember that we told the story of, of, a, of two boys, two brothers that were out playing, got all hot and sweaty. Dad comes out with his uh, uh, ice cream and two bowls and scoops up a bowl of ice cream for the older brother. He's all excited. Life's awesome. Life's great. I've got this bowl of, of, of ice cream. And then the younger brother, he begins to scoop out ice cream for the younger brother. And somehow he puts an extra scoop in the younger brother's bowl. And when the older brother sees the younger brother has a scoop more than he has, he just goes ballistic. And he goes from being contented and excited about life and loving life to all hacked off and mad. Because contentment is destroyed by comparison. And it's not the idea that that I don't have as much as I think that I should have. Really, contentment is destroyed when I see in someone else's bowl that they have more than I think they should have. Contentment is a, it can be killed as a result of comparison. And last week, we talked about that one of the things that really helps to calibrate our hearts toward contentment is the, to exercise uh, servanthood, to give away, to, to, to share and to serve other people. And so uh, with that, let's jump into where we are this week. And if you missed any of those weeks, uh, I would encourage you to check out online My First Church. And you go online and you can get caught up on any of the weeks that you missed uh, in the last uh, few weeks. As again, as we talk about the satisfied life, how to find contentment in this world of consumption. And so let me kind of just start off with a, a hypothetical kind of situation. 21-year-old college student comes to worship at First Church on a weekend. And on that particular weekend, uh, we're talking about uh, Children of Promise. Children of Promise, if you don't know what that is, many of you do. Uh, Children of Promise is a, is a child sponsorship program of the Church of God, where you can sponsor a child for about $32 a month, 
And as a result of that sponsorship, they'll get food, they'll get clothing, they'll get an education, and they'll get spiritual nurture. Here's a picture. And so again, I just want you to imagine this service where the 21-year-old uh, college student is hearing about Children of Promise for the first time, seeing pictures like this. This is pictures of uh, Katak, India, the orphanage at Katak, India, where these little girls uh, live, and each of these girls are supported by a Child of Promise sponsor. They're all sponsored, and that's how they get their food, education, whatever, at the shelter uh, is provided through sponsors. And so as, this, as, as the church is talking about that sponsorship, this young uh, guy, uh, his, his heartstrings are just, are just drawn, his, his generosity, his heart for generosity just begins to expand in his, in, in, within him. And he begins to kind of think to himself, you know what? They're talking about a little more than a dollar a day. I can support a child that, that I can make a difference. I can make a radical difference in a child's life for just a little more than a dollar a day. And he starts thinking, you know what? I waste more than a dollar a day. I mean, between my, my coffee uh, habit <laughs> that, that, where I go buy a, a cup of coffee for several dollars, uh, in between you know, buying an app every now and again or a download here or there or, or ordering pizza with the guys, you know, between all of that, in any given month, I spend more than a dollar a day on just crazy stuff. I could do this. And so he, he starts to think about that. And during the sermon, he can't even focus, can't even concentrate because he's thinking about these, those little faces and that he could make a difference in a child's life. And so again, his heart begins to expand. After the service, he makes a decision. I'm going to go to the, to the info hub. He goes to the info hub and he gets more information. He gets a little packet that has uh, a picture of a little girl uh, in, in, in a developing nation. Uh, and again, he's just excited about the opportunity to be able to make a difference in a child's life. He jumps in his car and he, as he's driving home, he does something. He makes a mistake. He starts to do the math. And when he starts to do the mental math... He starts kind of doing the, the math, and okay, a dollar a day, they talk about $32 a month, and, and there's 12 months, that's $384 a year. I'm a poor college student trying to make ends meet. There's no way I could, 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 could spare $384. And in a moment, his heart of generosity has a, cat, has a cardiac arrest, and it begins to die in that moment. And that illustrates for us the pull that many of us have. It's not a, a new thing. It's not a different thing for us to, for, for as, we, as we follow Christ, that, that he wants to invite us into a space of generosity. He wants our heart to be expanded. He wants us to be like him, to be like his son. And we know that God is a generous God. And so there's that pull to, to get our mind off just of ourselves and to look beyond ourselves to others in that, that generous heart. But there's also at the same time the, the complexities of life that come into a heart that is prompted to be generous. There's, there's the complexities of a 21-year-old college student that, that I don't have the money or the cash or the, the spare this or that. And there's that, 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 that practical kind of mental kind of stuff that goes on, those gymnastics. Our heart is, is being pulled and the spirit is, is drawing us this way. But then there is this pullback to do the math and think rationally and, and all those kind of things, there is that resistance to that heart move. There's a story in Scripture where Paul is helping to teach uh, a church 
a group of Christ followers, what it looks like to respond with, generous, uh, with a generous heart to needs in their world. It's words that young college students that are 21 years old need to hear. It's, it's what the church, uh, as we look at in Corinth, need to hear. It's what 46-year-old middle-aged guys with college students in high school, kids in high school, it's th- that need to hear. It's something that all of us could benefit from today. So let's get some help from the Apostle Paul. And, and if you've been around in this series, we've, we've got some other help from the Apostle Paul when he wrote to young Timothy when he was uh, pastoring Ephesus. And he gives some help. Uh, to, to what it looks like to live uh, in, this, in the world and to find contentment in this world, to find the satisfied life. So we've got some help from him before, and we're going to get another installment of help from the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to the church at this point uh, in Corinth. And we've got a, got a picture of the church in uh, kind of a map. And on this map, you'll see uh, Jerusalem. Uh, again, this is on the Mediterranean. You see Jerusalem, you see Ephesus that, that uh, is, sits on. It's a port, it was a port city on the Aegean Sea, and we've, we talked about that. And that, that because of that, it was uh, one of the fourth largest city Ephesus was, was. And so we learned about living with prosperity and living with affluence. And what he had to say to them is very similar to what he's saying to the church in Corinth because it also was a port city. Actually, there was a, there was a, a narrow waterway that... that, uh, that uh, connected these seas together, and so it was a very important, actually two ports at Corinth, and so in uh, Jesus' first century days, or Paul's first century days as he was writing, uh, the, the, the uh, city of Corinth would have had some 700,000 people living in it. It was, a, it was a city of influence, it was a city of wealth, it was a city of, of commerce, and so uh, again, into all of that, Paul is writing, and I hope you can see the similarities of what was going on in their world and their culture with kind of kind of in our culture. There's there there's this, some of the same struggles that we have, and there's a whole spectrum of people that that had nothing to people that had a whole lot. And he's writing to this to this culture. In addition to the to all of that uh, affluence and whatever that was going on in Corinth, you also you also had. Uh, the, Is- uh, the Isthmian Games were uh, the precursor, the forerunner to the Olympian Games that we have, the Olympics today. Uh, and they had something similar in Corinth. Uh, how many people, I mean, and they, so they love sports. How many people uh, had Middle Tennessee picked in their bracket? <laughs> Anybody? Did you actually have, right here in the front row, we have someone, one person uh, in the nation had... Middle Tennessee had the, the Blue Cavaliers or something crazy. What are they? Something like that, yeah. Uh, so anybody uh, sad that uh, Michigan lost? We had, so we had Michigan, Michigan State lost. Uh, we had uh, um, any, any uh, displaced Kentucky fans here uh, today? Yeah, and so got a few Indiana people that are excited about that win. And so it, it, I, I saw a statistic, $1.7 billion of productivity are lost every year during March Madness, during the, during, in, in, in corporations and companies, $1.7 billion when, when we're watching ball games instead of doing our job, whatever our job happens to be. And so in, in their culture, they were crazy for sports. 
Because, you know, we're the same, people are the same, so they had the Isthmian games, they had these Olympic-type games, and they had their favorites, and they had people they were excited about, just like we have our favorites, and some of us are dejected today, this weekend, because our favorites lost. And so into that, that, that affluent, that wealth, that, that, that dichotomy between the poor and the rich, and all that was going on, and then this sports craze, that's who Paul was writing to, and I hope that you can see he's writing to us as we read his words. Another kind of piece of the backstory is that Paul was here in Corinth, or he was sending people to Corinth, so that they could take up an offering. The church in Jerusalem uh, was going through some really difficult times. There was a famine in that area. The, they were in great, uh, significant need. And so he was collecting funds from some of these churches, like Ephesus, like Corinth. So they go back and support the, the work of the kingdom in Jerusalem and help those folks that were really struggling. And so he was writing to these people. They had already agreed to, to help support that, that relief effort that was going on. And now here, this is what he says to them, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And let's read this brief but key section as he's teaching them about having a heart of generosity as he's coaching them up on generosity. Here's what he says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, uh, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, just over the next couple of minutes, let me just pull out some, some what we might call reflections for the generous heart from this passage. And the first is, he says, the point is this in verse 6. So here's what I'm getting at. Here's the summary of what I want you to kind of hear. And what does he say? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully now when he wrote that he was writing to the area of Corinth and if you look at ancient Corinth Corinth was just this wonderful rich uh, uh, land uh, that had crops and uh, all around it and so and and so as they brought those crops in and they went into the ports and then were distributed around the whole Roman Empire it was a very uh, this is an important uh, part of their of their of their uh, economy was uh, it was all the farming that was going on. And so when he writes that whoever sows sparingly, or whoever plants sparingly, will also reap or harvest sparingly, they would have understood what he was talking about. And what we, it's, it's kind of simple, it's not really rocket science. And so the first reflection is real simple from the, from the text. Sowing impacts reaping. Sowing impacts reaping. Uh, and what he's using is what's called a truism. A truism is just a, is a word of wisdom that when you hear it, you kind of get it initially. You don't need a bunch of explanation to understand it, to know how it works. And so let me kind of test us out here. And if you're by internet, you can complete, you can type in the completion of these phrases. And so here's the first one. A penny saved is a penny earned. 
Okay, good. Or what about the, the truism that actions speak louder than words? Good. Or what about the two wrongs don't make a right? Okay, so you, you get that. And so that's, this is a truism, this, this idea that sowing impacts reaping. We get that. We understand. And so they understood that when they, they, the picture that they would have had in the way that they did farming back then, they would have had a pouch that they would have worn uh, and they would have prepared the soil, and so they would have reached into the pouch and grabbed the seed, grabbed the grain, and they'd have sown. They wouldn't plant individual like places like we do today. They would have grabbed a, a handful of seed and they'd have thrown it out on the soil and spread it out like that, broadcast the the uh, the seed. And so, as that as that individual, as that farmer would grab the seed. He would have to say goodbye to that seed. He would have to release, let go of that seed. And the question that comes to the farmer, the question that comes when that person is hearing that, that question that comes to the 21-year-old that's thinking about supporting a child of promise, the question that comes is, if I sow this seed, will there still be enough left for me? Will there be enough if I let go of this seed? And what, is the, what was Paul trying to... The simple truism. That, that, that our sowing impacts our reaping. And as I, as I sow financial resources, we can ask the same question. Is there going to be enough for me? Will there be enough left over for me? Can I trust God to supply not all my needs, not all my wants, not all my wishes, but can I trust God to supply my basic needs if I sow my seed, can I trust him? Can God be trusted? My trust of God impacts the process of my sowing. It affects the harvest. It, affects, it influences the reaping. What, 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 what the, the harvest that comes in, when I sow or I plant generously, I can expect to reap a harvest of generosity. Now, we're not, talking about, we're not talking about just financial kind of stuff. That if I sow and if I, and if I give money away, that, and that's, that's, we'll reserve that kind of teaching for the TV preachers. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about if we trust God, if we sow our seed, that there will be blessings that will come. He will take care of us. And those blessings are not necessarily tangible blessings. It's not necessarily that my 401k is going to grow or my, my wealth is going to grow if I sow generously, but he will take care of us. It's kingdom. I think back when I was a, a youth pastor in Middletown, Ohio, and I had first gone to Middletown. And uh, we had a, a great youth group, and we, were, uh, we took actually two trips to Peru, Lima, Peru. And we did ministry in the favelas, in the, in the slums of, uh, outside of Lima, Peru. It was the poorest of the poor that were living outside of the city and we went to uh, leper colonies and we helped build churches in this, again, the poorest region of the poor in Lima, Peru. And there was a lady in the church. Her name was Norma Coverman. Norma Coverman was this elderly lady and uh, she just had this great heart. She never had kids of her own, um, but she loved uh, youth and was always, she's one of those people that just kind of would slip me some, some cash on the side and say, hey, and, and can, you, can you use this for the youth somehow or whatever. Uh, she's one of those people, I remember when she moved from, her home into an assisted living uh, a, a, a room that she was going to live at at, the, at, the, at the, the assisted living home. 
we came, went over to her house and she wanted to make a donation to the youth rummage sale because we were making money to go. And it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Any youth that are here, you know, always kind of trying to raise money for a trip or whatever. I'm selling some pizzas or I'm selling some, uh, uh, some super books or whatever. And by the way, uh, a lot of the young people are over here on this side. If you need any of that, they're over here and they'd love to hook you up uh, today. Just a little plug for them. So, uh, and so that's what we were doing. We are trying to raise money for a trip. And so she said, come over. And so uh, we come over and she is like piling her worldly, helping, or telling us, take that, take that, take that piece of furniture, take that, and just piling it up and giving it to us. She was sowing seed. One of the young people that was on uh, those, on actually both of those trips that we went to Peru was a young man by the name of Tim Downing. Tim Downing is one of our newest missions uh, uh, partners he has just gone he and his family to uh, Ecuador where they're serving on the mission field Uh, uh, she Norma Coberman sowed into his life she didn't get some financial windfall she went and lived in the in that uh, has gone on to be with the Lord now but she went into this into the the, lived in this assisted uh, living facility she got rid of stuff she sowed into other people and as a result there's a tremendous harvest Tim Downing today trains indigenous pastors from Ecuador to plant churches all through Central America that's an example of sowing impacts reaping let's go back to what Paul has to say in verse 7 he says each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As I mentioned earlier, this was a relief effort. He's trying to raise money to, to help the church that was struggling through a famine. But they had not yet given the money. And so Paul was sending people to collect the money that they had said that they were going to give. And so what does Paul say? Each of you should give as he has decided. So they had already decided, but now he's saying you need to give. And so the second kind of reflection on a generous heart is that deciding is different than doing. And for some of us, the development of generosity in our lives, the development of of, of sowing the seed has been short-circuited by a lack of deciding. That we've never really decided because we've always delayed deciding. There's always a solid reason not to give, always a solid reason to delay generosity. Well, I'm a young person, or I'm in college, or I'm get, just getting started, or I'm, uh, we're a young family, or, well, I've got now kids in school, or, or I've got all these debts, or, well, when I retire, or now I'm on a fixed income, there will always be a reason to delay generosity, to decide later yes it's, it's valuable i totally understand i mean i mean I, I absolutely when you give and when you spread your seed of what you've been blessed with and whether you're serving people or or sharing what you've been blessed with that that really is a great picture of what jesus did of what god did he's generous and i get it and we should be generous and i'm glad you're generous i just can't i, don't, I can't afford to be generous at the moment and so yes to generosity but later And here's the reality of that. The decision for later often gets translated practically into never. Later, all too often, becomes never. For some of us, we need to finally decide to make a plan. Some of us have missed the blessing of generosity because we never decided And for others, we've decided a hundred times. 
Uh, just like our decisions to eat healthy or exercise or lose weight or, or memorize vast chunks of the Bible. If making the decision to do it was all that it took, all of us would be walking around debt-free, skinny, health nuts with six-pack abs having memorized entire, the entire Bible. If it only took deciding, right? But there's more than just deciding. And so here's the second point. Deciding is different than doing. Deciding is different than doing. They're both important. But deciding is different than doing. And it really, really matters that we follow through with our decisions. Like Paul said, each one must give what he has decided. So you need to follow through. You need to do it. And the people that Paul were writing to, again, they had decided that they were going to do it. And now he's saying, now you need to actually do it. So I just want to challenge you. What's it, what would it look like for you to decide? Not to say later, but to decide, to make some decisions, to start somewhere. And for some of us, uh, we've never really decided. We thought it was a good thing, but we've never decided to actually then follow through with it. So it might be. Um, Pastor Greg here at, at First Church, he helps us with our finances, helps kind of organize things. We have uh, a, a system where if you want help in giving we will actually mail you uh, giving envelopes once a month they come to you it's a great real reminder you could email so what would it look like to decide to actually do it to so you could say okay you could send an email greg.g at myfirstchurch.com and you could email him and say hey would you uh, i'd like to start giving could you have those envelopes sent to me he'd love to do that can i get a word of testimony greg would you he'd, he'd love to do that um <laughs> And so what would it look like? Maybe it would look like for you to, once at the beginning of the month, to write a check. Some of you, you remember, I don't know, maybe you talk to someone if you don't know what that is. Uh, some of you don't know what that is. Uh, last night, I took my phone out. We got a new app. Uh, you can go to, to the app store, My First Church, and you can look up that app. Uh, it's all one word. Squish all the words together, My First Church. Uh, and you can look up a, an app that we have, and that's the way that I give. And so I gave last night on the app. Um, you can go on our website. There's so, but to decide to actually do it. Some of you are self-employed and you're like, well, I don't really know what I make. How do I do that? So you could, when you send in your money to Uncle Sam, those quarterly estimates, you could say, well, here's what, here's what I got going on. It looks like I made this much and so I'm sending that much to them. And so I'm going to give this much. I'm going to sow this much seed uh, back to the Lord. So what would it look like for you to actually, not just to talk about it, not to say later, but to decide and then to do something, to start somewhere. Deciding is different than doing. Go back to verse 7. There's the second part of that. For he says, don't give reluctantly under a compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so he gives kind of, here, don't do this way. Don't give this way. And so if you're giving and, and, you're, and, you, and you're, you're doing it reluctantly or you're doing it under compulsion, because uh, he says, for God loves a cheerful giver, and I would just add my editorial comment, but he'll take money from a grouch. That's just a little... <laughs> bonus in there um but he said don't give don't give like that don't give reluctantly don't give under compulsion like somebody's twisting your arm and so he encourages them in the positive he says for god loves a cheerful giver not arm twisting not not uh thinking about it in some negative but to see it as god inviting us into the blessed life the satisfied life a life of contentment and a life of contentment is not just focused on ourselves we will never find contentment as life is all about ourselves but to be willing to see this great opportunity to, to step into this space of generosity in my world. And whether it's giving my time and my resources to a soup kitchen in town or, or some, other, uh, some other ministry or some other place that's serving needs. 
or whether it's giving to the church, how can I enter into this space, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not like somebody's twisting my arm, but how can I do it? And so in other words, as a cheerful giver, in so other words, the other reflection on generosity, the generous heart, is that attitude matters. It matters the attitude that we have. So is God inviting you, is, is it that he's inviting you into his blessing? Is that the way you look at it? Or when I stand up and talk about and talk about sowing seed and talk about being generous and talking about that and we talk about that, how does that affect you? What, what's going on in your heart right now? Do you see it as God saying, give or else? Or God inviting you into the blessed life? The life where you can give out of a cheerful heart. I... Uh, I was thinking this week of, I wasn't there, but uh, I heard the story Crystal told later uh, when the boys were really small. Caleb was like four years old, Jacob would have been about two at the time, and Crystal was with a friend and they were at a, like a JCPenney, TJ Maxx kind of place and they were shopping. And, uh, and Caleb was down, kind of running around, Jacob was in the, in the cart, and uh, we had this rule that uh, Crystal did that they always had to be within eyesight. She always had to be able to look and be able to see where you were. And so uh, Caleb's kind of playing around, and she's shopping. And all of a sudden, she looks around, and Caleb was gone. And, and uh, Crystal enters full-on crazy mom mode. And, and some of you understand what that looks like, the full-on crazy mom mode where they start like yelling. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but Crystal's head will actually spin all the way around. It's really scary, uh, but it happens in these kind of situations. And so she's like, you know, looking all around, and, and, and where is he? And like, like, like yelling his name, and, and she, you know, this friend is, is yelling. Meanwhile, Jacob's like hanging into the cart like, my mother is going crazy. You know, wide-eyed, about to burst into tears. You know, what's going on or as her head's about to explode? And so she's yelling. She's, she's literally enlisting, enlisting other people that are working in the store to help search for her child that she can't find. And all the while, Caleb is underneath one of the racks. And he was just kind of playing. But then when he hears his mom going berserko, he's like afraid now to come out. That I'm going to, you know, whatever's going to happen, because Crystal kind of has a tone, and I'm not going to carry this illustration off too awful far like I did in the other service because Crystal is here today. So I'm just going to kind of stop there and let your imagination run wild and then up it by a factor of 10, and that was Crystal in that moment. How many times, and, and so Caleb was afraid, afraid that that command to come out, that, that, that voice, that, there was, that he was going to get into trouble. But what was Crystal's motivation? I love my son. I, 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 wanna, I don't want him to be lost. I want to find my son. It was a, it was, there was a positive. It was a, a motivation of love. And so what do, you, what do you hear when you read the Ten Commandments in Scripture? What do you hear when you, hear, when you read that, that this is right and this is wrong? What do you hear from God? What do you hear from God when He invites you into the space of, of, of giving and generosity? Do you hear a God that, that, is, that has got all these rules and all these regulations and He just wants to take from you? Or do you hear this loving Heavenly Father? And the way we hear God matters. The way we see God matters. When it comes to his invitation to generosity, God loves the cheerful giver 
Generosity is good for us. It makes us like God. We mimic God. We push back the darkness and self-interest in our lives when we begin to plot the welfare of others. When we plot the welfare of others and of the kingdom, we push back the darkness in our lives. And it's the path to the contented, satisfied life when we allow this heart of generosity to expand Last thing, verse 8. And God is able to make all peace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And so what we see in this, this last kind of verse that we're going to look at is we just see the cycle of generosity. We see that, that as you exercise the muscle of generosity, as you, as you give, that our God is able to supply your need. Our God is able to take care of us when we give that all sufficiency he's able to provide the basics of life when we trust him and as we trust him and we and we're willing to give and we're willing to allow that the the heart of generosity to be sowed in our lives and we do that that there's this beautiful cycle when we respond to the impulses to be generous when you respond to those nudges of the spirit to be generous to help that friend to 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 give in an offering, to sponsor some child. And as we respond to those nudges, then God responds, we trust him that there will be enough for me if I respond in generosity. And this cycle continues, that God is able to make, as Scripture says, grace abound, as we have a sufficiency in all things. Our God is able, verse 10 says, he who supplies seed will supply and multiply. And so that seed gets multiplied, and, and, and there's an increase in the harvest. And so this last point, that generosity releases blessing. We're enriched when we sow the seed, when we, when we respond in generosity, that generosity releases blessing. And again, it's not so that the result is not that my, my pile of stuff gets larger. It's not that my, my net income gets greater.